This is Carte Blanche, the podcast. One story every day that matters. Delve into the issues that impact you, whether you're in need of a better understanding of the world around you or simply seeking inspiration or unique perspectives. You'll find it all here. Wild Coast communities have emerged victorious following a highly anticipated High Court judgment on controversial seismic surveys along the Wild Coast. Following months of back and forth between environmental groups, affected communities and fishers, oil giant Shell has been dealt a devastating blow. As the court found, exploration rights handed down in 2014 were unlawful. We speak to attorney Wilmine Weekin. She's a member of the Legal Resources Center. They fought on behalf of several Wild Coast communities about the much-celebrated judgment. I imagine that you uh, have like a great sigh of relief and a great sense of victory um, after the judgment. Can you just please summarize uh, the case for us and what it was all about? Sure. So um, in 2013, Shell um, was granted an exploration permit uh, by the minister in terms of the minerals legislation at the time. No one really knew about this um, until the end of last year when Shell actually made moves to implement or act on the permit. Um, and that was to explore for oil and gas on the Wild Coast. And they were going to do that through a seismic survey, which um, is a very invasive process. It's basically blasting um, air guns into the ocean bed. So at the time, uh, in December last year, our clients who are communities on that wild coast, they became aware of this for the first time and approached the court on an urgent basis then to ask for an entity to stop shell from can ask a court to decide whether these permits were actually lawfully granted. So those interdicts were granted in December, as you will know. And so what has now been decided by the Eastern Cape High Court is that indeed those permits were not lawfully granted. So Shell at this moment does not have a lawful permit to proceed with exploration. That is the outcome of the judgment. They are likely to appeal, of course, so it's not the end of the road, I suspect. Vilmin, what went wrong first time around? Why did the applicants fail in their first urgent application last year? So those were other applicants. It was a different case. I mean, they ran it on different grounds. It was not, you know, communities affected by the survey. And I think what was um, difficult in that case also is that they were not really able to harm. So when you get an interdict, you need to convince the court that if you don't get the interdict, that there will likely be significant harm. Um, and they were they were not able to prove that at the time. Um, and then when our applicants brought the second interdict, so first of all, they were directly affected communities who had not been notified at all, which made a difference. But also they um, they'd had a number of experts who were able to put up evidence of the likelihood of harm to the ocean and the environment. The applicants focus primarily on the legality of the exploration rights. Uh, could you please explain the process to be followed by both Shell and the Department of Mineral Resources, just in layman's terms? Yes, so it can get very complicated, but I, I think the, the court um, actually made it very simple. The legal regime has also changed, but um, at the time that Shell applied for the exploration right, their argument was that they 
had to get an environmental management program uh, applies for this kind of permit. You know, they normally appoint environmental consultants and they prepare this program, which sets out the kind of anticipated harms and mitigation. Um, but it doesn't require a very in-depth investigation into harms and certainly not into social impact. Um, so the applicants said that, in fact, that was not the correct procedure, that they were supposed to do a full environmental impact assessment and then get an environmental authorization for that. So that's a far more rigorous process to get an EIA, and it also requires a lot more consideration of the socioeconomic impact of any activity. So that was kind of a legal dispute between the parties as to what the correct process was. In the end, the court said it's not even necessary to decide that because the minister's decision, even on the evidence that was before him, was so bad that even if he had followed the correct procedure, the permit was not lawful. And the reason the court found that is the following. So firstly, it said Shell made no attempt whatsoever to even notify the directly affected communities. And we're talking about the, the communities who live on the Wild Coast, who fish for a living on in that ocean, and, you know, for, for whom that ocean is central to their spiritual and cultural life. One would um, think that's the most obvious thing to do. Well, um, you would think so. Shah uh, said, well, actually they did because they spoke to three monarchs in the former Transkei and they assumed that these monarchs speak for all the um, communities in the Transkei. Now, you know, this is a very typical uh, move made by the state and companies when applying for development projects. And they love to just speak to the traditional leader. It's much simpler to, to convince one person. And, you know, there's this notion still that black rural communities are actually invisible. They're, they're not actual people. They are just the subjects of a traditional leader. It's enough to speak to him or her. And then it's as if you've spoken to everyone. So that's what said very clearly. That is the relic of the past. We are in a constitutional democracy. There's no way that you can speak to a monarch and say, well, then while we've covered all the subjects, um, and there's no law that entitle a traditional leader to speak on behalf of his or her people like that. Um, and so that that was a major point for the court. And on that ground alone, they said, you know, without consulting these directly affected people, the decision was bad to grant the permit. But in addition to that, the court said that there were relevant things that the minister should have taken into account in deciding about this permit and didn't. Um, the first is the there's absolutely no evidence that he took into account the cultural and spiritual impact um, on these communities. You know, and the court says, we're not going to tell you what to do about it. We're not going to tell you how to mitigate against that. All we're saying is you have to consider it <laughs> and we have to see that you considered it and you know how you're going to deal with it. Secondly, um, the court said the minister did not sufficiently deal with environmental harm. Um, and given that there's such a dispute over the nature of the harm, the ordinary principle should have, when it comes to damage to the environment. The court also said, and I think this is quite significant, that climate change was not considered. And really, I think the statement is, you cannot take a decision about environmental rights in this day and age without considering the impact on climate change. And finally, also, you know, there's, there's legislation that deals with um, management of the oceans, and that was also not considered. So, 
the court said um, there's no evidence that these things were considered. And in that way, this decision is simply unlawful, just by way of ignoring important aspects. And a, yeah, that was the end of it. It's amazing that the department failed to do what seems to be basic due diligence. Yes. And unfortunately, we see it all the time. Um, really, I mean, when you look at, at the consideration by the minister of Shell's application, you can see that, you know, there, there's very little actual application of the mind of the decision maker, right? And in a way, that's part of why these these court challenges are so important, right? Because it it is a rule of law issue. It is holding the decision makers to account that you, it's not a rubber stamping. It can't be. You must actually consider the factors that you know Shell is going to downplay because they want the permit. So it's the obligation of the regulator to to take those things into consideration. So, Vilmin, did you guys walk into uh, the judgment this morning anticipating what we eventually saw? How were you guys feeling this morning when um, going into the day, into the judgment? So, look, the hearing was over two days at the end of May. And I have to say, you know, we had three judges who all come from the Eastern Cape, from rural areas in the Eastern Cape. And, you know, Shell was on the point of whether Shell actually notified them. You know, they would argue that, well, it was it was published in an Afrikaans in an English newspaper, you know, the Burger and Daily Dispatch or whatever. And, you know, I mean, the judges, you could see, um, we're very much in agreement with our advocate who said, I mean, that's abs- that's absurd. If you think that those newspapers circulate in Duesa Cuebe or, or Polobeni, then you've never been there. And, you know, that's just absurd. And the other means of communication was, you know, online. And again, there's, there's, <laughs> that does not indicate a real desire to actually notify people. Um, and so I felt confident after that because I really felt that the judges understood that point very well. But you're always nervous, especially a high profile case like this, um, where, you know, the minister has made his feelings and his thoughts on the applicants very clear. And so, yeah, you're always nervous. Sure. Um, And what does this mean for future seismic explorations along the Wild Coast? Well, so I think for future exploration on the Wild Coast, but in fact, along the entire coastline, and for any kind of exploration or, or prospecting rights, this does change what companies in the state are required to do. Um, so they have, you know, really gotten away for decades with the absolute minimum kind of lip service to to consultation. And so you could see that in how Shell approached this case. You know, they felt like they did everything that, that everyone does. You know, how can they be blamed? And it's because it's true. That is how companies have done it. And they and it certainly it can't be the case going forward. So that is very important. And I think, you know, the court saying that the minister must be able to show, to demonstrate that he took into account climate change, um, the harm to the environment independently and social and cultural and spiritual rights. I mean, I think all of that is really, hopefully will represent quite a shift in how these applications are being considered. And just to follow up on that, Vilmin, what message does today's judgment send to other corporate entities? The one most important message is that they can no longer do what they've insisted on doing for many years, which is ignore community members. 
um, and only work through um, easily accessible channels of, of traditional leaders and often compliant traditional leaders. Um, and that, you know, it's very diff- it's much more difficult to actually go and find the affected people and engage with them. And it, it, it will, if you do it right, it will take long. And that's why they don't want to do it. But, you know, that is now no longer an option, which I think is very significant. Um, and, you know, because up to now, companies, I think they know that the regulator, the minister, whoever takes the decision, that they really rely on whatever is put in front of them. Now, knowing that the court is expecting the minister to take independently take climate change and these things into account, I think it, it puts a much bigger burden on these companies to to deal honestly with those things. You know, one of the important points that the judgment also made kind of as an aside, but I think it was really important, was saying, well, you know, Shell and the minister kept making claims about how this was going to um, stimulate and uh, transform the Eastern Cape economy. And the court said, but we only heard statements about that. We did not see a shred of evidence supporting that. And, you know, that's very important. So, you know, those kind of hollow statements, uh, which we always hear about job creation, etc. They're not good enough anymore. There needs to be actual evidence. And of course, the problem is they often don't have that evidence. We know that exploration in the rest of Africa has often caused much more damage um, than progress. Um, and that, I think, is really significant. Isn't it amazing that in a, in a lot of cases like this, job creation is almost used as a pawn? Um, Always. But very pointed out well by the court that there's no evidence. You haven't shown us how these jobs would be created. Yeah, especially, you know, when it's something like a seismic survey is incredibly technical. So they were not going to create local jobs. You know, they were going to bring in specialists from overseas to, you know, to do the few jobs. I mean, that's clear. Um, and yet, you know, the promise is always made that that this this will be life changing for people on also the coast. What, which is what just kind of jobs are they claiming to create? Yes. Yeah. Um, I think my other thing is there's a lot to be said about the power dynamics at play here. And considering today's judgment, we see that a community or communities that one would consider to be powerless against a big multinational company and the government, as it were. Why do you think this matters for them, the communities, in protecting and advocating for their environmental rights? Yeah, I mean, I think it's extraordinarily important, right? When I said earlier about community members in former homeland areas still being, in a sense, invisible, you know, in so many ways. So, you know, it's 25 years into democracy and their land is still being held by the state. They still don't even have secure land rights. They still, uh, in so many ways, are seen as subjects, right? I mean, just completely powerless. And this kind of judgment just really turns that on its head. And the judges have almost become the last resort for these community members, you know, a place where they are seen, where they are made visible. We can overestimate the meaning of that. I think it is really, really important and empowering. Today, I was doing an interview on one of the TV channels. um, And straight after, I got a phone call on my TV who said, we are having this dilemma with a mining company. I mean, we, you know, we hear this all the time and it's just, you know, that kind of solidarity and just the example that someone was able to fight is very meaningful and very necessary in South Africa at the moment, I think. Mm. It's amazing that it took the courts to protect uh, these small communities against multinationals, but also against the state as well. Mm. Yes. 
Um, Vilmin, do you anticipate that Shell will appeal today's judgment? And oh, I think it's likely that they will. No. Yeah. So they will now apply for leave to appeal. Um, and it will. It was a full bench at the Eastern Cape High Court. So they'll apply to appeal it to the Supreme Court of Appeal. If they win there or if they lose, whoever loses there will probably then also appeal to the Constitutional Court. So this is likely to still be in the courts for a while. If they apply for leave to appeal, that they could argue that that suspends the order and that they then try and go ahead with the survey in December. But I think it's unlikely because, I mean, the applicants will then return to court for an interdict. And I think it, you know, it's very likely that they'll be granted an interdict. So I, I don't think Shell will do that. But yeah, we'll have to wait and see. And chances of their success in getting the leave to appeal? I think in getting leave to appeal, the chances are pretty good because of the public interest and the importance of the case. Whether they'll win the actual appeal, I mean, I don't think so, but you never know. <laughs> mm, so we're setting precedent here with this with this case. It's, it's a monumental yes, case. Yeah, for sure. Um, and finally, Vilmin, any thoughts or aspects of this case that you wish to share with our listeners? Well, I think two or three things. The one is, you know, it, it is... One of the first times that a community has so forcefully pleaded their cultural and spiritual rights. And I think for the court to have taken that so seriously as they did here is really important. Having said that, uh, the court didn't say, oh, they have cultural rights, you can't touch the ocean, which some people in the in the media has portrayed it as. It's not what's happened. So the court says those cultural and spiritual rights are as important as any other religious rights. You won't, you know, go and explore under a church, a Christian church. You recognize the significance of that and mitigating against that harm. And there's all spiritual and cultural beliefs in South Africa. And I think that was very significant. Secondly, also that the judgment recognized these communities, because what they told the court was in part because of, of the cultural and spiritual significance of the ocean, but also, you know, in how they view the world as as integrated, as the environment and the ocean and life as all being integrated and not separated, that they feel a responsibility to look after the ocean and their environment. They feel that as a responsibility as community members, and that should be respected. I mean, that again, it doesn't mean that they are entitled to tell the minister what to do. But the court says it means that the minister must take them seriously and try and engage with them in a way to reach a consensus as to how we're going to deal with these conflicting aspects. And then the third thing uh, just to mention is that um, Shell argued that that our applicants were not entitled to approach the court, but had to first uh, do an internal appeal to the minister, because that is the normal process. And normally that, that would be correct. You must exhaust internal remedies. However, the applicant said we could not have been expected to do an appeal to this minister who has publicly called us agents of apartheid and colonialism. The minister has made his position clear and these are thus exceptional circumstances and we couldn't have been expected to do an internal appeal and the court agreed with that and it's only in exceptional cases where a finding like that will be made and so yeah, in a sense, Minister Montage did, did himself no favours. Mm. And then lastly, what would have been the correct way to approach this in a manner that would leave community members satisfied? 
So, I mean, there, there are different ways to approach it. And one is really, it's, it's really about the outcome of it. But so you want a process where uh, directly affected people understand what is proposed, understand what is the potential impact on them will be, and have an opportunity to object. They're not saying they have the right to veto the process. They're just saying, we have a right to object. We have a right to be heard. And very importantly, we have a right to be a part of deciding how we will minimize the impacts on the rights of directly affected people and where possible mitigate against it, right? So, so when it comes to spiritual and cultural beliefs, for example, there are things that the community says they, they do whenever they think harm may come to the ocean. In this case, they couldn't do it because no one told them this was going to happen. You know, you don't want to reduce the process again to some tick the box exercise um, as to, you know, if you tick these boxes, then you're fine. It's really about, you know, the outcome of the process. Um, not that everyone is happy because, you know, that's not always possible, but that people are satisfied that they were heard um, and that the steps, necessary steps were taken to mitigate against the worst impacts. And yeah, and where, where impacts cannot be mitigated, then yeah, considering not to go ahead. Brilliant. Romin, thank you so much for your time and thank you for thank you. all your insights. Please go and have lunch. Uh, you deserve <laughs> it. <laughs> Alrighty. Yeah, have a good, good day. Too. Likewise. There's still a long road ahead as the battle for our oceans continues. Regardless of the outcomes of the cases to come, one thing is clear. The voice of the people will be heard and our courts are willing to listen. Thanks for listening. Don't forget to subscribe to our podcast to ensure you don't miss a single episode. In the meantime, why not rate and review us? We love getting your feedback.